Good morning. Am I correct that some of the church is in another room? Is that correct? And where's, is there a camera? Where's the camera? It sits right there, that little thing right there? Okay, hello. I was trying to figure out where the camera was. So, it's good. They're, they're modernizing more and more and more. So, you know, you used to have a church with a camera. The guy would be there in the middle of the aisle trying to shoot you, you know, and there it is there. So, acknowledging everybody else wherever you are and uh, want to make sure that I'm... About how many people are downstairs or wherever? About half of this? About 40 downstairs? Okay, good. I only ask that because I wanna get, don't want to forget the rest of the audience. And um, I know that uh, my dear friend over here, he, said, he introduced himself as the chicken farmer. I said I picked on him last time I was here. He didn't really say I picked on him, but I was illustrating something. I was after him, so I want to make sure I know where everybody's sitting and watch my back. I'm really happy today to have my wife with me, my wife Sue. Um, we got started real early in our lives. I moved into Coatesville when I was nine years old. She was already at First Baptist Church at Coatesville, which is sad to say First Baptist is no longer in Coatesville. It abandoned that corner and Oh, by the way, am I being recorded? I am, so I'll be careful what I say. I'm serious, believe me. Um, but when we went to First Baptist, Sue had already been there with her mom and dad, and I think that was the whole church she ever was born into, really. And, and so I went there as a nine-year-old with my dad, and he took the Christian education director's position there. And, and um, so we probably met in 1959. And then by um, getting into the early 60s and being in youth group and Sunday school and teaching together. And, and then we kind of fell in love in youth group, and I taught her how to drive a car when she was 16 and, and down through the years. And by the time I was finished my uh, third year of Bible college at Philadelphia, and Sue had uh, almost been still, she was just finishing up x-ray technology school, radiology at the time. And, um, and so she put me through my last year of Bible college. We got married in 1971. Um, so we've been together a long time. We just celebrated our 44th wedding anniversary a few days ago, May 7th. And um, so I'm younger than I look, or older than I look, or something like that. And we have three wonderful sons. Jonathan will be 42 in a couple more weeks. And he runs a ministry to skateboarders. He's outstanding evangelist to the skateboard world, the X Games, and uh, locally and around the nation. Um, wonderful testimony for Jesus Christ. And we thank God for John and their four children and his dear wife, Sarah. We also have a son, Timothy, who's right now pastoring and preaching, probably getting ready to preach this morning at Wagontown Chapel. He'll get into the pulpit there very, very soon. I think one of your former members is there. What was his name? Terry House. Terry House is very active at the Wagontown Chapel, and and so Tim's there with his four sons and his wife, uh, Corinne, and then we have our youngest son, uh, Joshua, married to, uh, yeah, not to Corinne, he's married to uh, Jordan, they have uh, two little ones, uh, little guy Joshua, three years old, and Eden, who's about six years old, and they took in about two and a half years ago a young man from a very, very broken family, uh, Slay Pittman, we call him Slay, Dondre, uh, about six foot three, African-American young man, uh, who is our oldest grandson, um, and we, we definitely treat him like one of our own, and he is one of our own, and I don't like to lay it on him too heavy, but I said, you know, in my house, I said, you know, Slay, when you're the oldest grandchild, whether you're a boy or girl, you bear the responsibility of setting the, setting the mark for everybody else that's following you. And he's taken that charge pretty well. He's a, made the states and high jumping, and you can pray for Slay that he'll do real well. 
never really had a father in his life. Uh, I, again, I'm not going to say much on this uh, being taped. Um, but I just thank God for what God's done in, in Slay's life. And, uh, and many of his friends who really could be out there and just wasting their lives and dying in the streets of Coatesville. Instead, the Lord got a hold of Slay. And Nasir, a good friend of his, and Corday, a 19-year-old who lives in our house, and Mark Quinn, and, and um, a whole bunch of guys that uh, would have been wasting their life are holding themselves accountable uh, and each other accountable in their walk with Jesus Christ. And you can pray for Nasir. He's a graduate this year. He's on his way, hopefully, to Word of Life Bible Institute, that they accept him and he gets some scholarships. If not, he'll go to the Army. But uh, we're just watching God work in the lives of these young people and um, thanking God for it. And before I forget to say anything else or fail to say anything else, I really, again, thank God for Sue and... Um, Everything we've done in our ministry, we've done together. We've done it with our children at our side. If you look at some of our old family albums, which we don't keep too well, but if you look at some of our albums, uh, you would see uh, Sue and I as young parents, and you'd see our little boys um, surrounded by a whole raft of African-American young men and women that came to our house every single day in Coatesville when we lived there for 18 years. And, and that was really our son's life. They were surrounded by everything we did, everywhere we went, and people say, you know, Jack, you're crazy to expose your kids to that world and expose them to those kinds of people, and don't you know what you're doing? And we even had family that didn't even want to come and have dinner with us anymore because on Christmas Day, all these other guys would show up around the dinner table or Christmas Eve or whatever it was. They would always show up high or drunk or just happy to be around our dinner table. But you know what? It all paid off because all of our sons love the Lord. They're all in ministry, and they're all broken for people groups. And I really think it has a lot to do with just doing ministry together and honoring the Lord. And the Lord prospered that. So not only do I have a great co-worker in my wife, but uh, a fellow servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, she's a great Bible teacher and has just got done teaching through experiencing God with uh, my son's church women. And then she's teaching through it with the women from Coatesville. And Sue's been teaching them now probably since the mid-80s um, and taking them through one Bible study after another and and uh, Sue's the one who really had the heart for the children and the housing projects, and that's when we began that. And um, so if my wife keeps coming up with these burdens, my life gets busier and busier. And, uh, but yet, you know what? Um, you know, that's why we have the camp. Uh, little did Barnhouse know, Donald Gray Barnhouse and Clarence E. Mason and, and some of those uh, old preachers and great Bible teachers, little did they know in 1933 when the old mill was being a Bible conference at a terrible time of liberalism in the United States, um, they were planning a Bible conference. Little did they know uh, it today would be the headquarters for our ministry uh, to police and you name it, all kinds of people from around the world. Um, let me just pray one more time before I really get going. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for um, this faithful church. And Lord, I know my wife can be testimony to this that the last time I was here, last, I think it was in January or so, a year ago, a snowy night in, on that Saturday and that morning, Lord, uh, no Sunday school, and yet we gathered here on that day in that cold winter, and, and you blessed our time together, Lord. And I've seen this church for many, many years. They've been a part of our life for many, many years, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we don't take that for granted. Thank you for their faithfulness, Lord. For those that are just meeting us today for the first time, Oh, I pray, Father, we won't scare them away. And I pray that you'll continue to uh, burden this church, Lord, with the world vision they have. 
And Lord, help them to see us, Father, for who we are. Thank you for uh, Pastor Joel, who understands this ministry in, in, in large degree. And I thank you, Lord, for the introduction, which, which really told the truth about what we do. And I, I just pray now, Lord, that you'd help me to not only give a report, but to preach the word in faithfulness, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want to rattle too much longer without, without praying. And I'll rattle a little bit, but I'm watching the clock, and I know I'm supposed to be, I don't have to be done, but Pastor, just I asked him, when should I be done? He said, we're usually done by 5 to 12, so that's when I'm going to be done, okay? I promise you. And uh, if I don't, honey, you stand up and tell me I made a promise. Um, you're giving me plenty of time to talk. Again, first of all, as a report, um, and I, I don't want to. I can't say a whole lot with names. I don't want to do that because it really we're being recorded. And I, I do not ever in this day of posting sermons and people can go up and listen to a message from Grace Baptist Church and all that. I'm going to be very wise in, in how I speak. Okay, I'm protecting people's names. When I said Slay Pittman, if he hears me talk about him on the radio, my my 11th grandson, he won't matter. He won't care what I said because it's all good, and he knows I love him. And I have to be careful what I say because not everything I say is good. It's true, but it's not good. And so I want to be fair and I want to be careful. Plus, God's given me the privilege of, um, as Pastor said, and I'll tell you, Pastor, I thank you because a lot of people just think, oh, Jack Cranch, yeah, they got that camp out there outside of Coatesville. They got a camp. Well, okay, if that's all you know about us, then shame on you. Um, you don't read anything we write. Um, we're not a camp. We have a camp. It was an old Bible conference dedicated to the glory of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ until he returns again. That's what it says in the charter. But it died. It ended. It was folding up. It was for sale. Well, I want you to know the charter is still on the wall and it's still proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a little partial because I have a fourth Sunday night meeting every, every summer. Now, we don't have summer meetings all the time, but I think in fairness to local churches, at least local churches, we have three services in the summer, at least three, where we invite people to come. In the month of June, the fourth Sunday, we have a great pastor from up in eastern Pennsylvania. We've had Woody Kroll and great well-known people over the years. But we have, we've had Byron Paulus and from Life Action, and we've had Dave Butts, who leads the National Day of Prayer, and Bob Vernon, and we've had some very famous people. But a pastor has been almost 40 years in the same pulpit in eastern Pennsylvania, eastern Pennsylvania. Pastor Larry Bird is radio teacher, preacher, television owner. He's coming to preach in the month of June as a pastor. But he likes our ministry because of its length and breadth and depth and We've gotten to know him on his television show and interviews with him. And, and so we asked him to come, and he's going to come in the fourth Sunday night of June. And Steve Sensnig, the pianist and concert pianist, is going to be doing the music that night, pouring himself into our ministry. The fourth Sunday night in the month of July, we will have um, the lead singer, used to be at Sight and Sound Theater, and now she's at the American Music Theater, but a sweet lady of God um, who played, you'd know her very well if you heard her sing, but she's coming to sing on the fourth Sunday night of July. But with her is the man who replaced Charles Coulson in prison fellowship, Jim Liskey. He's coming to preach at our camp on the fourth Sunday night in July. And then the fourth Sunday night in August, we have, i trying to remember myself now, Diane Susek. Now, a lot of you up here in this area know Diane. 
She's coming to sing because she loves our ministry and she's poured herself into our ministry with her husband, Ron. She's singing. And in the month, we're having the leader of the ABWE, the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, Jim O'Neill, a great missionary statesman all over the world, uh, really seeing churches awaken to missions. And, but all of them are coming in the summer, not because you're just going to come and preach, but I said, come and preach as if it's the last time you ever preached a sermon in your life and preach it to the people of God. Because that's why we're there. We redeem the time. And I say to some of our supporting churches, at least send a delegation. Send one person to come and hear what's going on because that's one night in the summer, June, July, and August, where people who support our ministry have a chance to come and see us in one place and you look around the congregation and you see friends from all over the area who support the work of county corrections. It beats hosting an expensive banquet. But it brings our people together and it's our way of saying thank you. Plus, you'll see the camp at Old Mill where God's touched lives for a long time, since 1933, almost 100 years. And you'll see where children run from Brooklyn and from Coatesville and Philadelphia and Washington, where ambassadors want to come and stay from the United Nations in a few more weeks if we could host them. Romanian leaders and African leaders and you name it, come and stay at the camp at Old Mill where my wife is hostess. God has blessed us abundantly at that camp, and it's serving and serving and serving. But above all, the children of Coatesville call the camp at Old Mill Mr. Jack's Camp. I didn't call it that. I don't even like it being called that. But believe me, if you go into the city of Coatesville, because of my wife, been doing Bible clubs since at least 1985, do the math. That's a lot of years. So if you were a 9-year-old in 1985, I'm not sure how old you'd be today, but if you were a 9-year-old or a 6-year-old in 1985, you probably went to Mr. Jack's camp. And we came and found you in the Oak Street housing projects, which have all been torn down, which was known for its violence and its brokenness. But to us who knew Oak Street, it was a family. It's where we were known as the chaplain from the jail, Miss Sue from Bible Club, Mr. and Miss Jack Sue Cran's for Bible clubs for kids. And so now we have the privilege, this many years later, the kids that were five are how much you're older now in 2015. They're now, many of them, a lot of them are single moms. I'll admit that. A lot of them are dads who had those babies. But believe me, we're reaching children in Coastville into almost the third generation since we started. And believe me, it gives us favor, not just in the city, but with the kids, their moms, their younger brothers, their older brothers, and even the prison system. Because when you go to our jail, a lot of the men and women in jail, sad to say, some of the officers were some of our Bible club kids, and a lot of our inmates were Bible club kids too. It's just the nature of the families that we're reaching. You want to weep about Baltimore and Ferguson, Missouri? Ferguson, Missouri is not much bigger than Coatesville. We have maybe 20,000 people. We have about 14,000 in that little valley between two bridges. But believe me, Coatesville is a Ferguson. And I can assure you that the most powerful instrument in this hour in the American city, if it's not there, we're in trouble. It must be the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it must be a very present witness of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ in the darkest places of our world, no less our American cities. 
And in many cities like Baltimore and Ferguson and Charleston, wherever we're watching all this in the news, believe me, many, many times the only ones keeping the lid on those areas is the fact that there are some still there faithful proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just preaching, but ministering in the lives of these families and children 24 days, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And that's what our ministry has done in Coatesville. We've modeled that, in, and God has prospered it, and God has blessed it. But in our ministry, not only to the jail, but to the children and to the families and to the law enforcement system in our own region, God has prospered us, not just locally, but way beyond that. Way beyond that. This morning, if you could just read some of the emails that I sent early this morning. One was to a man named Y. Duvenhaken, who was a colonel in the South African Army, a police leader. We'll be in, Lord willing, we'll be in Johannesburg in the month of August. And I get to keynote the, the gathering of, of several hundred police leaders from, from all of South Africa who are there for the Christian Police Conference. And to be able to go there, and it's the second or third time we've been there, but opportunities to go and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the police in South Africa. Just a few days ago, we were in Washington, D.C. at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. And we were there with about 35,000 police. And we've been going down there for many, many, many years. And the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial is set up. It's set up to remember those who die in the line of duty. And I think last year, about 89% of those who died in the line of duty were shot. They died in gunfire. Just like our own state police officer not too many months ago before Thanksgiving who was gunned down coming off duty with a high-powered rifle. You all remember that. Many, just on Mother's Day a few weeks ago in Louisiana, two officers, a black man and a white man, both officers, both shot to death. Never even had a chance to pull a gun. Killed on Mother's Day. It's almost the target of choice today to kill a cop. And so we're in a dangerous hour. But you know what I'm happy to report? I really feel like God has put us right in the middle of the cutting edge of this hour in not only this country, but around the world. We're receiving emails from a young man named Nathan Graves in Albania. Imagine what ISIS must look like to Albanian Christians if you think ISIS is a threat to the United States. Albania, in the Balkans, in the Turkey area, so close and watching watching ISIS and watching the, the slaughter. And these churches in Albania are sending their own missionaries into the borders of Afghanistan and Iraq, ready to die, ready to give their lives to reach Muslims for Jesus Christ. And Nathan wrote to me this week, and he's been writing to me and writing to me. I'm on his board of directors, and he said, Jack, the West is sound asleep. They have no idea how dangerous it is. I think we do, but we really don't. We go on with our games. We're at a very, very sobering hour. Ed Meese, former attorney general under Ronald Reagan. And I, I don't care if this goes on your computer or on the air, but I hate to even say his name, but it's a compliment. There's a man that, that absolutely has encouraged me. He's encouraged to hear what God's doing among police. I know Billy Graham, some people love him, some people don't love him. I'm not here to argue that point. But Franklin Graham, you know, they went through a Samaritan's purse and they were sending chaplains into Katrina and sending chaplains to the hurricane victims in the Oklahoma, tornado victims. But Franklin Graham began to realize 
when, when Ferguson happened, civil unrest seems like an emerging issue in America. And so they took that chaplain's van, 65-foot chaplain's van, rapid response chaplains, and sent it into Ferguson. You might not know this, but that chaplain's van sat right at North and Penn Avenue in Baltimore almost within minutes and hours of the, of the outbreak. And chaplains are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Baltimore. When I was down in Washington a few days ago, I was sitting, standing in that chaplain's van in Washington for the first time among all these 35,000 cops are there to remember those who died. A lot of drunkenness, a lot of partying, a lot of bad stuff going on. But there's the Billy Graham van, and in it and around it are chaplains. And many of the chaplains are cops. They're cops in chaplain's uniforms, and they're witnessing Jesus Christ. And right in front of the van walked the acting chief of Ferguson. First name basis, carrying on conversations because of relationships that are being built. If I said Al Sharpton, you know that name. He loves civil unrest. He'll be one of the first people there when it happens, and he'll help flame it. But I'm going to tell you, there are people who love the Lord Jesus Christ that are trying to beat him to every scene. There's a war out there. It's a real war. And our nation's in the target of it. And I think you've been around enough to know how dangerous America can be and how quick, just one moment before we get home today, this country could be in a whole different change. I spoke to one of the top law enforcement officers in the world just yesterday, and I won't mention his name, but he's a dear friend. He's a man of God, and he agreed with me. He said, Jack, don't assume you'll get to vote in the next election because there's a desire of many that we won't have one. There's a hope for enough civil unrest in this country that there won't be another election that would keep the present power in power. We're living in a very dangerous moment. For me, prison has always been a prophet. Why is a prison like a prophet? Well, do yourself a favor today. Read Isaiah chapter 1 through chapter 5. And just read how God is venting his anger, his wrath against who? His own people. And he's doing it because they have neglected the very people that he wanted them to be a testimony to. And God says over and over and over again in those first chapters of, of Isaiah, and he says it in other chapters of the Bible in the Old Testament, that God says, your worship, your burnt offerings, and all of your worship means nothing to me. It makes me sick, he says, unless there is the practice of obedience of faith in the lives of my people. You can't neglect the fatherless and the poor and the issues of justice and mercy and say you worship God. You just can't do it. It doesn't hold up. This is real stuff. A dear friend of mine is heading up the Secret Service in Philadelphia. He's in charge of the Pope's visit in September. You can pray for Ken Valentine. He's been in the White House for many, many years. Every time I talk to him, he's in the West Wing. He's in Philadelphia right now. He's on a fast track to maybe be a great leader in the Secret Service. But pray for Ken, Superman of God, little kids at home back in Virginia. Pray for another man, Mark DeBrody in Atlanta. 
We were just down in, again, Washington, D.C., outside of one of the tents in Tent City. I met some Secret Service agents from headquarters, and I said to them, do you know Ken Valentine? Oh, yeah, we know Ken. We don't, never met him, but we know him. We know his reputation. He's a leader. Do you know Mark DeBrody? We never met him, but we know Mark. He's in Atlanta. They know these guys, and you know what they know about them? They just know they're great agents. What they don't know, maybe, is that these guys love the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, have you ever heard of another guy, and I mentioned his name. He used to be the third in control of the Secret Service. These guys said to me, they're agents now. Oh, yeah, we know him. We know his name. He's a, he's a legend in the Secret Service. These are men of God. Again, and you were right, Pastor Joel. When the day comes when you don't see me and my wife ministering in the lives of the little children of Coatesville, and all I do is go to Washington, that's going to be a whole different day. Because somehow or other, I feel the power of our ministry is that we know what we're talking about. And we're calling police to obedience for such a time as this. When you support County Corrections Gospel Mission, I know that you're supporting the camp. And I can tell you right now, our needs are great. And I don't want to ask you to give anything that God doesn't ask you to give. And I'm not here to do that this morning. But Pastor Joel said, give a report. And I'm almost done with my report. In just a few more weeks, we're asking God to raise up churches that will help us with lunches and evening dinners. And we have most of those sponsored. My wife coordinates the kitchen. We'll be providing from Monday noon until Friday noon for two straight weeks a camp that will only cost Coatesville kids $15 to come to camp. We want to give them all water shoes. We have to pay to have that camp mowed and trimmed. We're asking God for four summer staff. All of them are out of our kids' clubs. Three of them are young men that are either high school seniors or on the way to college. All of them have known Jesus Christ as Savior. Not one of them has a loving dad. They all come from broken homes. We're asking God to provide income for them for the summer. One of them is not from that broken home. Her name's Kelly Wright. She's a senior at, I think, at Lancaster Bible College. And she's going to go into Christian school teaching. But she came up in our kids' clubs. We want to employ those four people this summer at about $2,500 apiece. For summer. Three of them are guys right out of the hood. We're going to hire them either way. But right there I just spent $12,000. We have an old septic system at our camp. We have to have it pumped all the time. Thousands of dollars. The campers that use it usually pay for it. But you know what? We just got tested. And for about $30,000 we can put in a brand new drip system. The man who tested it is donating one half of it. He said, for $15,000, Jack, I'll stop all your pumping. It'll pay for itself in three years, at least maybe two years. But there's another 15000 Again, if you just helped us get through Kids Club and put water shoes on our children's feet or figure it costs us about $90 for each kid that goes to camp, again, anything you give allows us to do what we're doing, and it frees up our money to be able to do the other things we do, which is, again, go all over from, from D.C. to Africa, literally, with the gospel of Jesus Christ to police. But again, may God move in your hearts and touch your hearts for such a time as this. I want to go to the Word of God, and I've got to go to the Word of God, and I'm going to go to it quickly, but I, 
I'm not going to go to it lightly. I want you to turn for just a moment to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, I would like you to just take a moment and turn to around chapter 20, if you would. Acts chapter 20. If you want to have some exciting reading this afternoon, sit down and if you don't read Isaiah chapter 1 to 5 and see what God says to his own people at a time before he judges them, then take time and read Acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 17. And what an exciting life to read the life of the Apostle Paul, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I think I heard some of you talk about God's mercy today. I heard you pray for God's mercy. I heard you pray that, Lord, we are sinners. Have mercy on us. As my wife and I drove up here this morning, we prayed together. And she, I was praying this morning, and I was praying from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Those great words where Habakkuk says, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Revive your work. But in your wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2 And every time I pray that verse, I always add this to it. Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. Revive. But in your wrath, remember mercy. Hear those words. In your wrath, remember mercy. And then I add, and Lord, begin with me. Begin revival with me, but Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy with me. I was interviewed on the radio twice on Thursday. Sam Rohr, some of you know him. I was on the air with him, and I was asked when I was in Washington live during that police day, and someone said, Jack, how do you give an answer as to how can you work with troubled kids in a very broken neighborhood and say you're identifying with them and then over here you're working with cops. Some people would say that's inconsistent. How can you work with troubled kids and work with cops? I said God has called us to go into darkness. Which one is in darkness? Which one isn't men and women who need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? If you were to ask me this morning, what's the number one prayer on my heart this morning? I'll tell you what it is. It is that God would put in the city of Coatesville a Bible-believing church that would spend itself in the lives of the least and lost of the city of Coatesville. Not just having a one-hour service every week, but ministering daily, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the hood in the city of Coatesville. You say, Jack, I thought that's what you were doing. It is what we do, but we're not a local church. My son Joshua right now is training and praying and ready to go to begin that local church. But we don't want to start another church. There are churches in Coatesville that don't even want to be there. There are churches in Coatesville that have voted to leave Coatesville. And we're asking God if he would, in his grace and his favor, to open one of those doors. 
where our own son Joshua could go in Jordan and our ministry and take over a church that's no longer hardly being used and see it begin a welcome mat for the men and women, boys and girls we've been ministering to for the last 30-some years, 40-some years. I look at a church belfry there in Coatesville. I see a towering belfry, and I look at it, and I wonder, is there going to come from that belfry someday a prayer call for Islam? And I'm going to tell you something. There will be a prayer call of Islam from a belfry in that city of Coatesville if God's people don't soon wake up and see what's going on. And that's the truth. It's already happening in Detroit and Baltimore and you name the city. It's already happened. Go to Atlantic City and see how many churches that used to preach the gospel in their stained glass were turned into nightclubs and bars. Break your heart to go inside of a one of these places in New Jersey and, and see the stained glass window dedicated to the honor and glory of God still there and it's a speakeasy. America in a difficult, difficult time. The Apostle Paul spoke at a time when it was difficult for the early church. And I just want to say something this morning that is very, very important and I'm going to be brief because I'm almost done anyway but let me just give you what is, I think, profoundly true from this passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, here in chapter 20, verse 17, you know the great visit he made to Ephesus, how they embraced him and wept with him, and, and he, he wanted to go so bad to Jerusalem, and they tried to keep him from going to Jerusalem. And you know what happened when he went to Jerusalem. You read it there in chapter 21. As he went to Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that he was, he was literally almost torn in pieces if it wasn't for a chief captain of the band. Look in chapter 21, verse 31. As they went about to kill Paul, chapter 21, 31, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And that chief captain took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when he saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. If that chief captain of the Roman guard had not stepped in at that moment, the apostle Paul's life probably would have been over. He'd have been put to death. But God has established law enforcement since the beginning, really, since chapter 10 of the book of Genesis. God has established government and given it the authority to punish evil and bless those who do good. You're allowed to talk today about justice. We want justice. Well, justice is the rightful punishment of evil and the rightful reward of those who do good. So if you really want justice, then you want sin punished, and you want those who do well to be blessed. Again, we we're living in a time where even the idea of justice is gone. We know if you follow this text in Acts chapter 22 and following, what I love about it, just in the work that I'm in, God, in his favor, gave us the name of that chief captain. Claudius Lysias in, chapter 20, in, in verse 26 of chapter 23. The Bible tells us that Claudius Lysias was that captain of the Roman guard. As a matter of fact, this man had such a burden for Paul that if you know, remember how many, how many soldiers he put together to get Paul safely to Caesarea. God used Claudius Lysias. If you keep reading, you'll find that God mentions another man named Julius 
who was a, a man who was a captain on the boat that took Paul to Rome. And Julius was a man who learned to appreciate Paul. And the Bible tells us when Paul went to Rome, God actually gave him a Roman guard that would watch over him for almost two years. Paul had a powerful ministry to those who were leaders in Rome. But the most intriguing thing about this whole passage here in Acts chapter 21 and following, where you're kind of reading Paul's uh, last days of public ministry, his last years of public ministry, you see him being arrested. You see him being beat up. You see him being spared from the mob. You see him being picked up and arrested. You see this man, Claudius Lysias, finding out that Paul is going to be beat with, with straps, but all of a sudden Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. And it's Claudius Lysias who says, do not lay a hand on this man. He's appealed to Caesar. He gets to go to Caesar. And how God protected him by at least even the Roman guard who knew their role in keeping the peace. There's an organization right now, you maybe heard of it, International, International Justice Mission, IJM. They're, they're all over the world trying to free people that are in sex slavery and slavery, and, and, and they're Christian-based, and a guy named Gary Hogan is the leader of it, and they're, they're sending policemen all over the world trying to get people out of human trafficking. Human trafficking is pandemic in the world, and it's pandemic right here in this United States. And even one man I know says, Jack, it's, it's also a reality in the city of Coatesville. I can tell you that human trafficking is going on. And they're giving their whole ministry to human trafficking, and nothing wrong with that. But Gary Hogan made this point. He said, wherever you go in the world, you can give people food, you can give them clothing, you can give them hospitals, you can give them a whole lot of good stuff called compassion. But he says, if there's no good law enforcement system that honors God, violence prevails and violence wins. Violence almost marks our generation. And at a time in our own country when we're shooting our own cops and condemning the criminal justice system, Gary Hogan will tell you, anywhere you go in the world, if there's not a good justice system, violence will run rampant and you'll lose your society. Pray for your police. But you know, as I read this text, Claudius Lysias, thank God for this Roman soldier. He finally brings Paul to Caesarea. And you know that Paul stands before Felix. And now Paul is standing before King Agrippa. It's chapter 26. And this is what I want to show you this morning. I get five or ten more minutes. You put up with me this whole time. And my time was almost gone. But what I'm going to say to you is so important, I'm glad it's the only Bible. You say, Jack only preached a little bit today. Yes, I did, but listen to what I say. It will be enough. Acts chapter 26, Paul again testifies of his salvation experience. And I'll just start in verse 13 of Acts 26, verse 13. At midday, O King Agrippa, I saw in the, in the away a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them that would journey with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And of course, you know this text. This is again repeated in the book of Acts from chapter 9. And what did the Lord say to him? Get up, stand upon thy feet. I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen and of those things to which I will appear unto you 
to deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. And you will open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, from the power of and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now, here's Paul standing before Agrippa. Now, bear with me. I've got two more verses. And I want to submit to you as a missions-minded church, and you are. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I'm I'm not emotional this morning because I feel like you need to get it. I think you get it. I think I'm speaking to friends here this morning. The people that are holding our hands up and praying for us. When I'm on my way to Washington at 3 in the morning or 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning and I'm going down there to be with many police and I'm thinking, I just remind myself of the people that pray for us. Here's one of the shortest missionary reports you'll ever hear in your entire life. You'd like a missionary like this to come to your church. He only speaks two minutes. Listen to what he says in verse 19 and 20. I want to submit to you, verse 20 is the shortest missionary report on the face of the earth. Hold on a minute. i got to give you one advertisement. This week, I don't want to lose my thought. I'll remember this. My finger's on it. This week, I was at a RISE Christian Police Conference in Haymarket, Virginia. Speakers were from the Pentagon. One speaker was a man named Mark Croker, who was a head of the UN Peacekeepers. He was a deputy chief of L.A., dear friend of ours, a wonderful man of God, grew up in the Belgium Congo. Mark Croker was introduced to speak on Monday at this police conference with the general, with all his brass and all of his markers here. I mean, these guys were dressed, all kinds of biography. Mark Croker was the last speaker. And they read his biography, and it was long and astounding. You know, he led peacekeepers all over the world, Liberia, Haiti, all these things. But Mark Croker stood up, and he said the most profound thing. He says, may I give you the greatest introduction that's ever been spoken of any man on the face of the earth. He says, I'm Mark Croker. I'm nobody. But he says, I'm going to give you the best introduction in the world. And it was spoken by a man named John, who they called the Baptist. You ready for the greatest introduction on the face of the earth? What did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can anybody trump that? Is it true? That's our message, folks. That was Paul's message. And it ultimately cost him his life. Now here's the rub before I read these verses. What has serving Christ cost us? What's it costing believers in Albania this morning? Do you know North, South Koreans and probably North Koreans, because there's a living church in North Korea, they are praying that God will use them to reach the Islamic world for Jesus Christ, and they're going without wanting to come back. And I'm just talking to you about needs a couple of miles away from here, no less all across this country, and you see it melting down. I don't have to tell you, but don't forget that introduction. Now, here we are. Before Agrippa, listen to this great report by this man named Paul. 
Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now, let me ask you a fair question. Did Paul or Saul meet the same Christ that you met? Is that a fair question? Did Paul, um, in a sense, put his pants on just like all the rest of us? He's a mere man, right? Last time I checked, he was. He met Jesus Christ, didn't he? I guess the rest is history when you talk about Paul. Look what he says. Here's the, here's the quick missionary report to Agrippa. I showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles. That's where I went. That was my missionary journey. Now, please listen to this. And before I read it, I want to be fair to you. And forgive me, please forgive me, if I have failed to use this pulpit wisely this morning. Forgive me. Because what I'm about to read to you, I'll be the first one to remind myself of this. Whenever you talk to anybody about repentance, make sure that you are a repenter yourself. Is that fair? Before you talk to anybody else about their sinful condition, don't ever forget that you were the ones this morning who asked God for what? Mercy. Don't ever talk about repentance without being a repenter. Now I want to read the rest of this. Here is what Paul said he preached. Wherever he went, that they should, what? I'm reading King James here. That they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. To translate, if I say I am a repenter, individually, then someone can look at me and say, that's what a repenter looks like. If you say you met Christ as your Savior, the same one Paul met, can you say, can I say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision? I repented of my sin. I turned from my sin. I repented, and I want to do works that are fitting repentance. Now, let me ask you. What does repentance look like? In Romania, during communism, Peter Dugalescu, who now is home with the Lord, was a young boy going into schools and was being hated because his family were called repenters. That was the dirty word. Remember you used to smuggle Bibles into Romania? Remember that? Through Brother Andrew? We all did it. It was Peter and his family that were getting the Bibles. He wrote a book called Repenters before he left this earth. Matter of fact, he finished it at the old mill because he was there when our courthouse was covering up the Ten Commandments because it was offending some people. 
And he put in his book, America, Wake Up. That was his last charge in Old Mill Bible Conference when he preached before he went and finished his book before 9-11. He preached in August of 2001. A few weeks later, America got hit at ground zero. His last word to us at Old Mill was, America, wake up. Individually, I'm done. I know it's five up. Individually. Put a circle around yourself this morning, and I'm, I'm doing it to me. Put a circle around yourself and say, am I a repenter? Now, if you lived in Ferguson or in Baltimore, I think a repenter could make a difference in those communities. But if those who profess Christ are not repenters, that sounds like oxymoron, doesn't it? How can you be a follower of Christ and not be a repenter? In America, you can You really can. You can be a follower of Jesus in America and not be a repenter. Most people in the House of Representatives are members of churches. Almost all the Supreme Court are Jews and Catholics and Protestants. They all go to some church or synagogue. They all know the book that talks about abominations and sin and all that, but look at where we are. How can you say you love God and fear God and not be a repenter? You can be in America. What if just one of us was a repenter? What if two of you were? What if this whole church had the reputation of being full of repenters? What would that look like? If my children and my grandchildren are growing up as repenters, what would that look like? You think it's bad or is it good? We want the nation to repent, don't we? You know the truth? Unless there's repentance in the church, I heard this from a great man of God, Richard Owen Roberts. Unless the church repents, don't ever ask God to bring an awakening in the country. It will never happen. Awakening is a result of a repentant church. ISIS is only one of our problems. We can't even define the family anymore. Thank you, Grace Baptist Church. Thank you. I charge you, as I charge myself, to be found guilty of being a repenter. Father, I thank you for this time. Help us. Help us, Lord. If this is the last message I ever preached, oh God, I pray that I I spoke it repentantly because I know right now, were it not for your mercy, I'd be consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.